Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Alex Payne on, who is a broadcaster and presenter. Hi Alex. Good evening, gents. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you for coming on. Been looking forward to this one. Good. Well, very nice to be with you and um, thank you for the call-up. Thank you for the call-up. Um, so do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what you actually do, Alex? That's a very good question. Um, I'm probably trying to work it out for myself. Um, what do I do? So I definitely haven't had a, a sort of standard career. I think that's safe to say. I was always a sports nut growing up as a kid um, and realised having looked into becoming things like a sculptor and going into the army and going into advertising that actually sport was where all the fun was. So um, joined Sky about a week after I left university, um, making tea and coffee and was lucky enough to progress through the ranks to what was pretty much the dream, jo- the dream job of, um, you know, hosting live rugby union on Sky. Um, and we had some pretty good days doing that. Um, I was very lucky. I think that my, you know, my job has always felt more like a hobby. So I've always been, been very passionate about what it is that I've been doing. Mm. Um, and, you know, you go, you go on a bit of a journey with it. I started when I was very, very young, broadcasting, probably way too young. Um, and as I've done it for longer and longer, you get more comfortable and, and you, you get the chance to sort of expand, I suppose, the remit. Um, I, off the back of sort of working at Sky for a number of years, I think I've probably done about 17 years. Now. I'm still very much in touch with them and, and do the old bit and bob, but they don't do very much rugby anymore. Uh, started a podcast about three years ago. Um, and that was actually with a company called Joe. And well, actually, I, I say I started it. They, they, they conceptualized it and I, I came in and presented it. Uh, and then last summer we left, started on our own, did our own thing with a new brand new show called The Good, The Bad and The Rugby. Same people, um, but having a lot of fun with our own ownership and our own production company and values, etc. So that's the sort of the broadcasting side of it. I suppose what that leads into is that working at the weekends means you get a lot of your week back. Um, mm. And I've always sort of tried to fill that with more useful things than just playing golf. Um, I didn't <laughs> play a lot of golf. I wasn't getting any better. And that's why I sort of took the decision to, you know, get involved in, in businesses and start my own little ventures, etc. I've had about four or five ranging from a digital publishing company to a surf magazine uh, product a presentation coaching business but I now have a tech business called The Room um, it's all about mutually beneficial exchanges so you're able to come onto our platform and you're able to swap things with brands or, or um, brands are able to unlock interesting people who want to work with them based on pure advocacy on a need a love or a want rather than a financial transaction so it's very you know I think I've seen that actually I think I've seen that somewhere. Someone somewhere in our team is doing a good job. <laughs> it's all about it's all about good good people and good brands forming yeah. good collaboration. So that's the day job now. The podcast is a hobby. It's a very long answer. Um, the short <laughs> is fairly shambolic CV. That's cool. It's a very varied career. But going back to broadcasting quickly, you mentioned yeah. you started it super young, um, yeah. and you, that must have been so daunting for you. Did you did you ever kind of? think about that when you were going into it and were you ever really nervous um yeah not just at the start um yes is the short answer um the only sort of analogy i can give you so i i was i was very very lucky um and i i've been very open about that in the past i was very lucky to get the job that i had wanted from about the age of eight nine ten um and i was also very lucky that it happened very very quickly for me um you know i joined sky as the t-boy 
um, and many people would tell you I should still be the tea boy. <laughs> you grab the flag when you can. But I was, I sort of was progressing through the ranks of the production team. So I went from tea boy to a little bit of editing to, you know, a little bit of this and that on, on match day coverage. Um, and I was never very vociferous about the fact I wanted to broadcast because I was at the firm belief you had to kind of prove yourself at the basement level before you got the chance to go in the elevator. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a very, I stand by that now. I think it's probably a very useful thing for sort of ambitious presenters to, to bear in mind is that, you know, people want to see commitment to, you know, the, the production team and to the channel and to the sport before they just chuck you on camera. And I had done quite a lot of that. I mean, I did a lot of work experience for Sky while I was at university and I went up and down from Edinburgh to, to work. So they knew I was very, very keen. Um, but in terms of my, the broadcasting, I was in the office on a Friday night and um, I literally got pulled aside by the executive producer. He said, we haven't got a reporter for the Army-Navy game tomorrow. I'd like you to do it. Um, and I was like, righto. Um, that, that sounds quite interesting. So... I went home. I didn't really sleep. I was at Twickenham at 8am the following morning and I was an absolute bag of nerves. And I think all (laughs) I had to do was, you know, one live interview at the end of the game, which consisted of three questions, plus a whole load of bits and bobs in the tunnel afterwards. But, you know, I, I, I can't really explain to you how... I suppose just just it feels like you're honestly walking along the edge of a cliff when you want something that much and you know that it's what you want to do um, and suddenly you're thrown into it. It feels like you're tiptoeing along the edge of a cliff and you know that if you get it wrong and if you swear or whatever it is, that the whole dream that you've been working towards is gone. And it's quite, it's a curiously high pressure environment. I was actually talking to someone the other day. I mean, the, the tunnel, particularly in a rugby match, which is so mm-hmm. sort of gladiatorial, the tunnel is a very, very intense environment on match day. And that's not surprising, but it's very, um, it's a very, it's a very intense environment in which to work. And, you know, you, your job as a reporter, which is what I started doing, is to try and get interesting responses from people who don't really want to talk to the media. You know, Eddie Jones pretty much is focused on getting his team ready. Steve Hansen is obliged to talk to the media, or was certainly but it's the last thing he wants to do. How do you um, deal with that? When, like, for example, everyone knows when, when you chat to Eddie Jones, you get a very sort of short shrift, don't you? He gives kind of short answers. But especially when the players and they're going out and they're about to play the game or they have just finished a really intense game, how do you get what you need out of them? Um, that is a very good question. And I think, I think a lot of it comes down to feeling very comfortable in the role. And your comfort levels go up the longer you do it and the more you know people, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I can remember in the early days of my career interviewing Martin Johnson. And, you know, I I went into broadcasting because I was a fan, not because I was a journalist. Mm. Um, And that, I think, made the jump much, much larger. Um, But I can remember interviewing... I absolutely hated interviewing Martin Johnson. When I was 24 (laughs) years old, I looked about 14... I was pimply and, you know, I didn't really know A, how to broadcast or B, any real idea about the sharp end of the game. And so he would have been being pulled from pillar to post and, you know, in the aftermath of winning the World Cup, everybody wanted a piece of him Mm. and he just wasn't interested. And, (laughs) you know, you've got to learn pretty quickly then in terms of how you handle it. I think if you're not that comfortable in that environment at the start, you keep it very simple, you're polite, you 
get in, you get out, you get the you get the best response you can possibly get in those environments. But what you're looking for, I think, in the early days of your broadcasting is keep it clean, keep it simple, maintain the respect. What you then develop as you go, and it's a very different job actually reporting touchline to presenting in studio. It's a much more comfortable environment. Um, you know, you're working with people who you expect to be on your side as opposed to people who you are, you know, trying to trying to lean across the fence to interview. Um, and then it's much more about making people feel comfortable. It's about, you know, trying to elicit interesting responses. I, I think, you know, I think the standard of broadcasting has probably developed significantly over the last five years. And I probably put a lot of that at the door of Gary Neville. You know, it's not good enough now to turn up into a studio as a former player and just trot out cliches and platitudes and you know nonsense you've got to offer something to your audience now which informs it entertains it educates um you know people have much higher expectations of what it is that they're watching um, and so that is as, as a sort of a presenter as opposed to a, a, a reporter is is much more your job it's to make sure that your guests are giving something to the audience which entertains informs and educates um but very much my role and i you know I, I can remember going on air you know it's it's still it's not a comfortable environment live broadcasting and what looks very slick and very stylized and polished on camera is often incredibly chaotic i mean the studios that i've worked in for sky which look really high-end on telly are they're basically a box with gaffer tape and a bit of sellotape <laughs> and blue tape together um and, you know, it all sort of contributes to that sense of chaos. Um, and I can remember doing one of the European Cup finals for Sky five, six years ago. And our guest, special guest on the day was Ronan O'Gara, who is the top point scorer in the history of the competition. Mm. You know, one of the great Irish players, you know, Grand Slammer, etc. And he was more nervous, considerably more nervous coming in studio with Sky for the day than he was as a player um, in the moments before kickoff. And that's because he was totally out of his comfort zone. Yeah. And so that is your job as a presenter is to make sure that they feel really, you know, welcome and comfortable. And, you know, the thing I always said to, to people who perhaps were, were slightly out of their depth is just get your first answer out. It's like anything you do, just do the, you know, hit that first shot, you know, as a batsman, hit it sweetly and you, you'll settle in very quickly. And, um, you know, it's like, it's the same in broadcasting, get that nice first answer out and, uh, you know, you, you're off and running and then you'll relax very, very quickly. So you know, they're very, very different jobs, very different roles. But I think, you know, you're trying to perform both in some in some pretty intense environments, as I say. Um, you obviously, from a young age, wanted to go into broadcasting and worked with Sky whilst at university. Did you uh, tailor your education towards this role? <laughs> That's a very good question. Uh, the short answer is no. Um, I did history of art at university. Um which doesn't lead directly into sports broadcasting. <laughs> knowledge. Um, I actually, genuinely, I, I wanted to be a sculptor when I was growing up. That was my, oh, wow. you know, my real passion. I was really into art. I did an art foundation course um, in the year between school and university. Um, you know, I was quite, I suppose, relatively artistic as a kid. Um, a, a huge sports fanatic, but, um, you know, I, I loved of the arts um, it doesn't often mix does it you don't no it doesn't it doesn't but funny enough i think it stands me and i think i i think the game has changed i think um you know i when i went into broadcasting it, it wasn't it wasn't vocation led um and i would probably say that i was probably one of the last 
people through who came into Sky as a T-boy um, and ended up on screen. And, you know, there are several others who did it. So Kirsty Gallagher was a production runner, Simon Lazenby, likewise, was a, a sort of a production runner and became presenters. But now it's much more, um, you know, I think they put you through some sort of MVQ in journalism and they like people who've done production studies and, and broadcast media and all that kind mm. of thing. Um, so I do think the landscape has changed, but I, I was always someone that was very conscious. I kind of wanted a fairly general degree, which you could go anywhere with um, in case the broadcasting didn't work out. And I think, you know, I, I don't in any way, shape or form regret that. Um, you know, I wanted a degree. I got solid two one, you know, and I think that shows people that when you apply yourself, you've probably got enough to get the job done. I didn't want to specialize in broadcast you know, broadcasting because if it then doesn't work in broadcasting, it's very hard to transfer into advertising, whatever it might be. Uh, well, one of the important things we try to uh, find out about people, particularly going through university is what they do additional to their degree. And one of the things you said is you, you helped out at sky whilst at university. How much yeah. of an impact do you think that had in you moving forward after university? Oh, extraordinary. I get asked a lot, you know, how, how do you get into broadcasting? How do you get into media, etc.? It, 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 in all honesty, I think that industry is as much about getting in through the, you know, the ground floor and proving how much you want it as it is about the qualifications that you earn through education. So I, I was very, very lucky. Um, I was pretty persistent. I won't, I won't lie. I, I wrote to Sky and said, can I come and do work experience? And they were like, no, you've, you've not done anything in, the, in anything in the industry. Go away and come back. So I went and did some work with Bath Rugby, which was my, my rugby team. I went and did some uh, work with an agency. I actually, funny enough, I, I had two weeks in London in my summer holidays. I can't remember what it was I was doing. And I thought, well, look, I might as well put these to good use. And I got the Thompson directory out, which was a blue sort of version of the yellow pages. And I <laughs> rang sports agencies. Um, and I got to B and I got to a company called Benchmark Sport. And I said, look, hi, I'm young. I'm happy to come and make tea. Um, you know, I'll do any of the photocopying. I just want to, you know, get going in the sports industry. It's what I'm interested in. And the, they were brilliant. They were really, really, really good guys. I'm still very much, um, I say I'm still in touch with them. I still like catching up with them when I see them. Um, but their response was brilliant. Do you bat or bowl? And I said, uh, <laughs> probably I bat if I have to. And they said, brilliant. We'll get to our office for two o'clock and um, we'll see what you got. And so I had an interview in the Muse in which their office was with the entire team bowling at me. Um, <laughs> and they were asking me, you know, what I want to do and what my passions were, et cetera. And I managed to sort of protect my wicket. And I started the following morning at 8.30 making tea and cleaning the alloys of the owner and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you know, I think what that shows you is that, particularly in industries where, particularly like the media, I suppose, where everybody wants a little bit of it, you've got to show that you want it more than most. Um, and I was very lucky. I went to a very good school. I went to a very good university. Um, but I started at Sky on 13 grand a year, collecting sandwiches and photocopying and you know, handing out cups of tea um, at 2am on a tennis overnight shift. And that is, that is the ground where you learn not only about, you know, who wants it, but also you learn the, the second language that you need to pick up very quickly in, in television and media. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, work experience is every bit, if not more valuable, 
often, certainly in, in the sort of the media industries, than the qualifications you come out with. And it also enables you to make connections. I mean, the people that I did work experience with at Benchmark Sport, I did an internship at IMG, I did work at a data company, um, you know, Sky, etc. The people I did work experience with there are now off running big businesses. And, you know, there's a sort of a crew that have come through together, I think. Um, and it's, it comes down, I think, fundamentally to how much you want it. Um, would be my advice and so you mentioned as well at the beginning you uh you do a lot more as well as doing broadcasting presenting and the podcast and you run some other businesses um how that must mean you have a really wide sort of interest base and how did you then start going okay i'm gonna go start a company because that's a quite a daunting thing to do yeah it is i mean i've always had quite a broad range of interests i mean i i I, I, you know, I, th- I think fundamentally I like people um, I really like talking to people I like unlocking people I like learning about people etc etc and I think that's that's been very useful in the broadcast element because I you know I like getting under the bonnet and you know the podcast that we have in the good the bad and the rugby is successful I think because the show deals very much in people it doesn't deal in rugby um, and we get some really big names on and we get them bearing their souls and their secrets. And that, that makes for quite intoxicating content in terms of, you know, the business element. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not actually lying when I say that I was spending most of my week in a sand bunker in Richmond trying to practice my short game. And I genuinely just wasn't getting any better. I was beco- becoming quite frustrated. I was fairly bored. And, you know, I was a 25 year old presenter on Sky Sports News who was working the 10 till midnight shift with the great man who was a guy called David Bobin, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago, known as the Mighty Oak, just was the <laughs> godfather of television. Um, and I had all my days free, you know, and I had a couple of mates who were farting about doing not very much and we played a bit of tennis, et cetera. But I, I, I was genuinely 25 years old thinking that the, the broadcasting is going quite well, but you've got to find a second string to it. Um, and you've got to have something that occupies your Monday to Friday. Um, you know, more substantial than just playing golf or tennis. So I, I did, you know, I, I, you know, my dad's a, 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 an entrepreneur, I suppose. Um, you know, he's, he's a, a, a businessman in his own right. And I watched him do what he did and wanted to have my own project. I also, I suppose, I think saw relatively early that the media landscape was changing um, and you need a second option. You need to diversify, you know, when I came into Sky, you know, Stuart Barnes and Dowie Morris were the rugby pundits in the game and what they said went and they were on, you know, juicy, healthy contracts with Sky and that was their job. You know, they were in Sky rugby office Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the to game, Saturday, broadcast it. Um, and they were analysing, they were talking, they were researching, etc. What happened, I think, when I started getting going is that that element fell away and it began to become much more pay as you play let's get lots of different people in let's constantly change the the voice and the dialogue and the dialect and and so those the role of full-time pundits really fell away and I think you you know anyone can probably now name five or six full-time pundits your Gary Neville's your Jamie Carragher's um you know the Sky Cricket crew are fairly consistent but particularly in rugby, you see the same people cropping up on a whole different range of channels. So Ugo will work on BT on a Saturday and he'll work for the BBC on a Sunday. And David Flatman will work for Channel 5 on the Sunday and be doing BT on the, on the Monday. It, it, you know, it, it's much more of a pay-as-you-play game. 
And the reason I mentioned that is that I, I was sort of conscious of that happening and I didn't want to be spat out as a fairly second rate presenter with nowhere to go. And so I, I, yeah, I've, I've had various failed businesses, but the one that I've been working in for the last four years is, is thankfully now picking up and, you know, we've, we've just done our second fundraise, which closed pre-Christmas. We're a team of 25. We've, we've got big ambitions um, and we're on quite an exciting growth trajectory at the moment. And I think um, the nice thing from, from my perspective is that, I genuinely feel I'm a better broadcaster now that I'm less interested in broadcasting. Um, and I, you know, I said, you know, my, my, what I do now on the podcast, et cetera, is a hobby. It genuinely is a hobby. And I love doing it because the day to day of running a you know, SaaS tech business is, is pretty bloody stressful. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, and I think if you look across, you know, presenters now, most of them have got a, a second, pie in which to um you know focus some of their energies so how did you uh when you first started getting into broadcasting learn it obviously you didn't have an education in it and there are maybe today a slightly more um courses around presenting but what what is it you you did um honestly i learned live on television um and I can only be thankful that when I was coming through, social media was embryonic, to say the very least. Um, in fact, when I first started on Sky Sports News, which would have been 2005, I don't think Sky Sports, I don't think social media actually even existed, which is utterly depressing um, <laughs> and makes me feel very old. But I, if I was coming through the ranks now with the lack of experience that I had and making the errors that I made, I would just never, ever, ever, in the words of Alan Partridge, get a second series. I, you know, I bombed many, many times over. Um, but I was literally learning live on air. I mean, I had never done any acting, any public speaking. I hadn't debated. I literally had no public speaking experience at all before I was given a microphone and sent live on television. Um, so when you asked originally, how nervous did you get? The answer is, yeah, pretty nervous. Um, but, you know, you, you know, I had a real passion for it. And I think where I was lucky is that because my passion was rugby, it wasn't broadcasting, I had a knowledge bank. Um, and so I was always aware that I knew what I was talking about. Um, and that gave me a, a platform and a springboard, I suppose, you know, if I could get the, the words out, the words would probably be right. Um, but I, I mean, Jesus, I've had some utterly horrendous car crash television moments. Um, <laughs> one stands out about all the others, but that's only really because um, it, it happened when social media was a thing and therefore went viral. But um, the early days, I, I mean, yeah, it's some pretty painful memories, but you know, it's a, it's a very good place to learn. And if you can hang on in there, I mean, I always describe myself as the turd that wouldn't flush. You know, eventually <laughs> you've got to do something with it. And I was that as a broadcaster. I was never very good, um, certainly in the early days, but I just hung on in there and I was committed. I tried very hard. I sought a lot of feedback. Um, you know, I really wanted to get better and therefore they, they dealt with me and, and looked after me, even if there were some fairly horrendous uh, bumps along the road but yeah I think nowadays they they train them far better than they did back then it was a it was a pretty brutal learning experience but the, the way you learn is is the best way to learn anything really isn't it really yeah. give it a go and, and fail and and try again yeah absolutely yeah yeah I mean if you if at first you don't succeed in all that um, yeah 
you know, you just, you've just got to be persistent. And that's with anything, you know, you're not going to be um, a world-class presenter in the early years of your career. You've got to feel very, very comfortable. The thing actually, funny enough, which I, looking back now, I find very interesting is that at the start, I was terrified of things going wrong and I was prepped to within an inch of my life. And, you know, I knew all the stats and I knew every player and, you know, I'd watched all the games that I needed to research. Uh, and I had the whole show mapped out on a piece of paper in front of me. Um, and nowadays, I, honestly, when we're recording the pod, nine times out of 10, we'll log on and it'll be like, who are we talking today? What, what, what are we doing? Um, and what that kind of shows you is the more comfortable you get the, it's like being a motorcyclist really they always say that guys who ride guys and girls who ride motorbikes are always looking for the out in case um and that's a bit like what it becomes as a broadcaster you learn how to navigate your way through a show and you learn the types of content and answers that make for good you know pickup um and so i'm a much better presenter now because i'm well, I hope, I mean, lots of people might well disagree, <laughs> but I feel a much better presenter now because I don't need to prepare. Um, and that gives you a freedom in the content that you create that if you are over-prepped and you're too structured, I think limits what you can do with, with you know, the time that you've got. Do you think that's also just because you've been in the industry so long, you've just got a knowledge bank of your industry? Uh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know how things work now. I think also the other thing is, and I, I say this gently, but I also don't really care very much anymore. Um, and I know that I don't mean that to sound flippant, but mm. I'm a 40 year old bloke now with a business that sucks most of my energy out. And I've got a wife and two kids and, you know, I've sort of moved past the point now where, where it's everything. I, I think, you know, when you've got enough battle scars and you've, been chewed up and spat out a few times and it's gone horribly wrong you just kind of learn that none of it really matters very much the sun still keeps coming up the next day and you know hopefully my wife still loves me and my kids you know will will sort of have enough respect and i, I don't mean to take this into a sort of a profound space but no no i i would definitely remind people particularly when they're starting out that you know, it, it doesn't really matter. You're talking about sport. You're not saving lives. You're not on the front line. You know, you're talking about sport. And the world is a pretty turbulent place now and everybody has an opinion on it. And actually, you know, most of those opinions, with the greatest of respect, don't really count for very much in what I'm doing. Um, I have to say, when, when watching uh, rugby coverage or, or anything like that, or the cricket's a great example of it, it's the more relaxed it is, the more sort of we enjoy it as viewers, because sometimes when it's just so systematic, it becomes a bit dull. Yeah. And the more relaxed the crew on television are, the more relaxed you as a viewer are. Yeah. That's, that's an inevitability. Um, You know, I I think the other thing I was going to say funny enough is in the early days of my career, I wanted to know exactly what I was doing at all times. Nowadays, I absolutely love it when it goes wrong. I mean, I pray. (laughs) for disasters because that is the fun bit that's where you as a broadcaster can show your range and your depth um and that's part of the reason i enjoy working as much as i do with haskell and tyndall (laughs) is that it goes wrong pretty much every two minutes and you're constantly (laughs) trying to salvage respect and reputations because you're working with liabilities um and that's that's the fun bit you know and that's that's why i think people 
dial in. I think there are there are there are sort of two ways now that you you broadcast. One is the sky cricket ethos, and that is that you are so good at what you do and so informative that you are educating your audience. Um, and that's great. And if you are at that level and you can maintain it, you you will garner huge respect. But the advent of social media means that everybody has an opinion now. And if you're not hitting those levels, you're falling into a trap. Um, and the alternative, therefore, is to include your audience in what you do and to make them feel that they are part of a dialogue. And I, I've seen that sort of transition along the way with Sky because, you know, when I started, we were sort of encouraged to talk to the audience. Um, and now it's, I think, conversing with them. And I think that's a sort of a subtle shift. But, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. The more you relax as a broadcaster, the more your audience relaxes with you. What are some of the biggest positives and opportunities you've had out of, of this career? Oh, God. Wow. Um, positives. I genuinely think that achieving my dream job um, has given me a, a huge self-confidence and has been unbelievably self-fulfilling. Um, and I, I sort of say that because I was the eight-year-old kid who depressingly uh, videoed every single rugby special on Sunday nights. Uh, you know, I, I was a real rugby fan. And, you know, I remember, I laugh about it with my parents now, but, you know, my mum used to say to me as I sat on the beanbag watching the same game for the 45th time, please get off your backside and go and do something useful. You will never watch rugby for a living. <laughs> And I sort of quite enjoy reminding her that I do now watch rugby for a living. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, there's, there's been a huge sense of self-satisfaction for me. And I, that, that, that is a bit self-indulgent. But, you know, I, I, I got the job I wanted when I was eight. And, you know, that, that sort of is something I think to, to be proud of. Yeah, um, not many people can say that. The bigger positives, you know, the chance to tell stories um, and some big, big stories uh, around events that I'm hugely passionate about um, is just unbelievably rewarding. You know, I, I will never forget broadcasting the third Lions test in 2017 and, you know, finishing on as even. I mean, that was a, a story that was front page news and a huge section of sports lovers in this country stopped to watch and you're there chatting to them about it. Um, you know, I've met some incredible people um, I've been very, very lucky to to work. And, I, you know, I met some incredible people, Jonah, Johnny, Jono, you know, right at the top of it. Mm. But also some extraordinary individuals like Ed Jackson and Matt Hampson, who, you know, weren't lucky in sport. I don't know whether you, you know either of those two, but, you know, Matt is, has been uh, very unfortunate in, in breaking his neck as a young England under-20s prop. Um, uh, but has been just an incredible force for good off the back of a hand that he's been dealt and has raised huge sums of money for, you know, individuals who've been unfortunate in, in a similar way to him. So, you know, I, I think standing back from it, I think the rugby family is a very special family. I think that comes from the fact that when you get on that field, you have to go to some, well, let's say some dark places, but you have to look after each other physically. And I think that forms bonds and friendships. Um, and, you know, that extends into the wider family as well. People understand the sacrifice that, you know, players, female and male make for your entertainment. And that, um, you know, that's, it makes for a fairly intoxicating group, I think. So I, I feel incredibly fortunate. I have been very, very lucky to 
you know, achieve my absolute dream in being a sports broadcaster, but also in being a very small part of what is a very, very strong family. So I do feel incredibly fortunate. Um, and that, that rugby family thing is, is definitely true. I mean, um, you know, me and Jules, we played rugby together, <clears throat> probably me quite badly um, for, you know, God knows how many years. Um, yeah. And all, all, my, all my closest friends are, are from rugby. So yeah. it's, it's just one of those things. That it kind of, once you go and play rugby together, it kind of bonds you together in a weird way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the beauty of it. And I, I, I am so glad I've worked in rugby and, and not football. I, 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 there's nothing wrong with football. It's, just, it's not my game. And, mm. you know, I like the fact that rugby is, is good people. Um, and, of course, there's some amazing people in football. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I'm very comfortable in the rugby environment. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's why it's been such a rewarding experience. And on the flip side of that, what would be some of the uh, less favorable aspects that you've, you've found of the industry? Another good question. I genuinely, I, I have got my hat in my head in my hands at some of the challenges that the sport has right now. Um, I do find it very, very frustrating that we can't seem to build a product where there is a sort of seamless synergy between North and Southern hemisphere, between club game and international game um you know i i think the sport has not looked after jewels in its crown the likes of samoa romania you know tonga have regressed massively as a as a nation zimbabwe were i mean zimbabwe is, is a very different case study because of mm. the political implications in in the sports landscape there but you know we have not grown as a sport in the way that we could and should have done in the 26 years of professionalism um, there are some very big names and some very big egos at the table and it makes progress very, very challenging. Um, and I have found that very, very frustrating um, and have spoken about it you know, or, or certainly asked questions about it on our podcast. I think, um, and I think that's, that's sort of a micro and a macro level. I don't think the sport has grown in this country in the way that it could have done. Um, and of course there are challenges and of course there are, you know, you, you've got to look after the foundation stones before you start changing everything just to bring in a wider audience. But, you know, we, we could and should have done more with rugby in the U S I think. Um, mm. So I think that is, that is one shame. I think the other thing, and this is speaking from a personal experience is that I think the sport, certainly in the UK is asking a hell of a lot of its TV viewers at the moment. Um, in the way that those rights are fragmented across pretty much any channel that you can name. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the Six Nations being split across BBC and ITV is fine, but then you've got to go to Channel 5 to find your Prem Rugby highlights and back to Channel 4 for the Ireland games in the autumn and one game a week from the European Heineken Champions Cup. And then you've got to go to BT for your Premiership. You've got to go to Premier Sports for your Pro 14. I mean, it's just, it's just endless. And that's across all sports as well. Was that? That's across all sports as well, not just rugby. Yeah, it is across all sports, um, and I understand it. You know, you, you've got to go. You've got to generate money as a as a as a governing body and as a um, you know as a as a, a Premiership rugby or whatever it might be. But you're asking a hell of a lot of your fans and your audience to do that. Now, that obviously comes with a biased angle because I was lucky enough to broadcast rugby at Sky when we had everything, literally, mm. everything. Um, and. 
people said it's ridiculous, Sky have got it all and there needs to be more diversification in the coverage. And now everyone's saying it's absolutely ridiculous there's so much diversification. <laughs> I wish one broadcaster had it all. So you, you're going around the same roundabout a number of times. But um, I, I, just, I just don't think the sport benefits from being so dispersed and you know, such sporadic coverage across the park. I think the final thing I would say as well, and I say this sort of cautiously because I've got some very, very good friends who are very good at what they do in the sporting landscape. But I, and actually I was just literally having a conversation with one of the teams in the MLR before we started doing this. Rugby coverage has not changed in 40, 50 years. You know, it's been pitch side and analytical and relatively dry, I think. Um, for a very, very long time. Now, there are people who do it absolutely brilliantly. I think you know, Ben Kay is a brilliant mm. summariser and Nick Mullins is a fabulous commentator. And you know, I, I think there's some very, very good people doing it. But if you're trying to build a broader audience, rugby as a game is so complex that it's very hard to bring that audience in if you're talking about the nitty gritty, so to speak. So mm. I don't have the answers. And I've got ideas, but um, I think there are challenges about the way the sport is broadcast, about the channels in which it's broadcast, and about the product not being maximised to its full potential yet. Definitely. What would be uh, something that was not in the job description that you had to deal with and probably didn't expect to deal with? Um, Probably the pressure. Um, and I sort of say that because I came through the ranks at Sky, um, you know, and, and I did a few years as the number two presenter to, to Simon Lazenby, who was, you know, a brilliant guy to learn from. Um, but I, a little bit, I sort of got to a point where I wanted the job. Um, and I was, you know, I was, I was sort of not, not I, didn't, I didn't sort of thrust myself forward for it, but you know, I was, I was keen to, to take it on and he had made noises that he was going to Formula One and, um, you know, I thought, I thought, right, this is it, I really want the gig. Um, and I think the step from number two to number one was probably considerably bigger than I thought it was going to be. Um, and it, I, it, I found it, not all consuming, but I found it, I found it a very big step up and, and it was pressurised and you're not just carrying a show, you're sort of carrying not carrying a department that's too much but you are the front man of rugby on sky and and that is a much bigger step up from the bloke who fills in on a saturday on super rugby um so i would say you know handling the pressure was probably the thing that took me um that took me a a while to adjust to um and to be comfortable with um what are the other bits in the job that weren't in the job description i don't know i mean I, i say this time and time again i think I think one of the key things that will help anybody get ahead is just being polite. And the media industry is, it's cutthroat, it's fast, it's sharp. There are some pointy elbows, but if you can just remember to look after those around you, which sometimes can be quite challenging, <laughs> you never know when you're going to meet people, um, you know, and, and in which de- in which direction you're both going to be traveling. And I, I say that because there were some people who were pretty tough love on me in my early days um and who would definitely give me a bit of a run around when I was making tea who six months later were um bringing the tea to me and uh, (laughs) that that is you know I don't say that with any kind of pleasure but it's just an example of 
you, you just you just got to be a little bit careful you know and that, i think that goes for anything in life really but um you know look after those around you and um you know just remember your p's and q's and i guess lastly what's it like to work with the likes of you know james haskell mike tyndall and, and you know johnny wilkinson and and well that must be amazing as a you know as a big fan of the sport working with the sort of the idols of the sport must be amazing um working with james haskell is utterly exhausting um, <laughs> um but i'm very very fond of him and um i sort of i sort of say this now one of the best bits of advice I was given actually by a guy called Johnny Hammond who worked with me at Sky as a commentator there very early on in my, my Sky career he said just don't try and play in, in, the, in the bear pit um, and what he meant by that was you know I was a rugby fan I was very excited to be around rugby players and he just said that that isn't this game and you've got to get rid of that pretty quickly because you know you can't be a fan as a broadcaster you know one of the things that I'm sort of proudest of I suppose is that I went from being a very passionate bar fan and England fan um, into a pretty impartial viewer of the game um, and you know it's interesting you know it's been it's been great fun and I have really enjoyed working with some real superstars of the game and and you know Johnny is one of those Martin Johnson etc you know these are guys who I was very much in awe of but as a broadcaster you are very much welcoming them welcoming them into your patch and so you can't you know you can't get excited that that excitement falls away i mean i it's funny you asked earlier about how how i got started i i got given a microphone with 24 hours notice as a reporter and i got called into studio uh, the first time i ever presented rugby with about seven hours notice i was on sky sports news at 11 o'clock at night they hauled me off and said you're back in at 4 a.m you're presenting a full day of rugby um, Simon Lazenby's eyeball has burst. I don't think it had, but that was the reason. Oh my god! Um, but you know, they they trusted me to do it. But but the reason I mentioned that story is that I had no prep, I had no sort of time to worry about it. I literally came in at four. We were on at six, and I went on air with Michael Liner, Sean Fitzpatrick, Bobby Skinstat, and Will Greenwood. Um, wow! Four World Cup winners for absolute idols and I just I vividly remember the PA who's the, who's the die who does all the timekeeping going right we're on air in 10 seconds nine eight seven and I just looked to my left and there were four of the greats of the game and I was like <laughs> what in god's name am I doing here um and that was exactly what you were describing here how on earth do you work with those people um but you get rid of that very quickly and you know I'd say it very lightly but I think you have to get to a point quite quickly whereby those people respect you as a presenter because they are stepping into your environment and they recognize that it is your job to get the best out of them. It's your job to direct the show. Um, and so they go from being idols to, um, you know, to, to colleagues essentially. And then you work with them for long enough. And, and, you know, I would definitely count some of them as, as good friends. Um, and I'm now, I'm in business with Tins and Hask. So, you know, I, I, um, you know, we've got a production company together that, that's that's growing quite excitingly. Um, and so, you know, I, I've definitely crossed, I suppose, that divide between, um, you know, the great wise words of Johnny Hammond saying, don't play in the bear pit. I sort of dip my toe in a bit, but I also quite happily let them get on and scrap amongst themselves. And I'm very happy to set myself as far apart as I can. Um, but definitely that's it's time and experience is the answer to your question. They go from being your idols to your colleagues 
and then if you work with the same people for long enough they become good friends um the power of a, a post-match beer is as strong in a production crew i think as it is in a in a, in a proper team environment so um yeah that's that's probably the answer to the question and uh would you go back and do it all again if you could undoubtedly uh i do one or two things a little bit differently but um that so that's a very interesting question and i'd split it into two would i do it again um if i was 21 absolutely without a shadow a shadow of a doubt would i go back into rugby broadcasting now at the age of 40 genuinely probably not um and i say that because i think i am probably slightly um disenchanted with the state of the game at the moment uh and i say that because i've done 17 years of it and i think if you do anything for 17 years you know you 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 don't necessarily get the buzz that you used to i mean i i would do a lions tour at the drop of a hat anytime anywhere anytime anyone asked me and i'd go to a world cup but you know with the greatest respect sail newcastle on a friday night in the pissing road at kingston park <laughs> i kind of done enough of those not to go and do them again um and yeah, I, I don't mean that to sort of be disparaging or demeaning of the product. I just, I, I was very lucky. And I, 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 I left Sky to whatever it was, 18 months ago, I suppose, the last of the broadcast I did. And I left feeling very excited about a new opportunity. I left feeling very sad for what, what it was, but not what it became. So the early years at Sky were rock star and they were absolutely amazing days and there was a trip where we went we flew to dublin and did a game in dublin we then went on private jet from dublin to geneva to do a game in geneva and then wow. the weekend was done and we had three days skiing in chamonix with a subaru and pretzel <laughs> our hire car i mean it was rock and roll telly and it was really they were very very special times but that was a point at which budgets weren't a word in broadcasting and it was all about quality content and how could you go bigger, better, faster in what it was you were doing. Um, and like anything, the industry matures and it became much more about you know, accountability and budgets and, you know, is this shoot actually gaining us any viewers and the bean counters won through and, and it just didn't become as much, it wasn't as much fun by the end. It was much more kind of, you can't do this. I, I've pitched a, well, I certainly pitched what I thought was some really good ideas to Sky in terms of rugby broadcasting. Um, and they just weren't that interested. Rugby wasn't doing a lot of business for them. Um, and so it was, we'll just keep doing what we're doing while we do it. Um, and so by the end, I was a little bit frustrated. You know, my perspectives and my horizons have changed. I've gone from being young, free and single to a dad with two young kids and long weekends away became harder as a result. So Again, long-winded answer. If I was 21, I'd bite your arm off. If someone said, do you want to do it again? I'd be like, what is it we're going to be doing? How are we going to be doing it? I don't just want to go back to a five-minute build-up in Belfast on a wet touchline, a five-minute half-time and a two-minute off-air. There are other people who will give you more enthusiasm than I could right now. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Alex. We've, uh, We've both really enjoyed it. Great. Really nice to chat. And I hope it was interesting in some small format. And um, yeah, lovely to chat. Thank you. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Uh, where can people find you on a social media? Um... 
Good question. I'm I'm a fairly inactive social media uh, type person. I I think I'm at Alex Payne TV on Twitter and Instagram, um, but I'm a watcher, not a poster. So come and have a chat. In, in all seriousness, if, if any of your listeners you know want to drop a question, always very happy to help wherever I can in that kind of um, you know young aspiring broadcast space. Um, so yeah, hit me up there. Very kind of you. Thanks again, Alex. Cheers. Great fun. Thanks, guys.